And so what I was able to do is I was able to talk to people um, and I was able to be pretty fearless and really persistent. Um, And I could show in the interview process because of what I did study in college and, and like some of my experience that I was able to pick up new ideas quickly and make connections between lots of different ideas. From the cubicle to the lab, the studio to the war room, climbing the corporate ladder or joining a scrappy startup, experience a day in the life of the jobs you want. This is the Experience a Day in the Life podcast. We interview professionals, entrepreneurs, and recent grads about what a day is actually like on the job, hour by hour, or as we like to call it, their adiddle, spelled A-D-I-T-L, which stands for a day in the life. This podcast will inspire you to gain experience beyond the classroom and launch a career of your own. We're your hosts, Chris DeBow and Matt Poe. Welcome to part two in the two-part Scalable Career in Sales series. In part one, we went through hour by hour in a day in Monica Stewart's life as a sales consultant and head of accounts at Scaled. In this episode, we'll take you through Monica's career journey so you know what skills and experiences are necessary to land a job as one. She's such a valuable employee. Her first boss she ever had quit the moment she gave him notice she was leaving and She's the common denominator as to why three of the seven companies she's worked at got acquired. Let's learn how she did it so you can too. As a child, Monica wanted to be an archaeologist. I used to have these little kits that you would buy that were like play excavation kits. So they came with like a little brush and little tools and then you would like uncover something in sand. (laughs) So So I wanted to do that um, when I was younger, but I I just didn't even understand how someone would have become an archaeologist. I really could have used you guys when I was a kid. (laughs) I just had no clue. I didn't know anyone who was one. It seemed very far away. I would see things being discovered in the New York Times and I felt like By the time I was old enough to do anything, they would have already discovered everything anyway. So what's the point? So when I went to college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just wanted to know that I just knew that I didn't want to be in high school anymore. So I was like, well, okay, I can work somewhere for like minimum wage or I can go to college. So I guess I have to go to college. That was literally like the entire thinking process. But I knew that I wanted I I thought I wanted to do something international, like maybe have a business in another country, something like that. And so that's why I picked my school because they had a really good international business program. But I ended up majoring in international relations, which is, it's like political science. I think, you know, candidly, I don't really think it matters that much what you major in in college. Unless you want to do something super specific, but even if you do, you're probably better off learning it outside of school. You know, like especially if you think about STEM careers, it's changing so fast. If you're not going to a super, super top tier university where you can get into research programs and, you know, they're really attracting like top caliber faculty, what you learn in college is definitely going to be outdated by the time you graduate. So This is controversial advice. I don't, you know, ask people about this. Don't just take it from me. But I really think that just picking a liberal arts track and sticking with it is probably the way to go. What you learn in college, I think, is really just how to learn and how to manage your life, like how to be an adult, how to show up on time, 
how to complete things on schedule. Some people are better at it than others. Some people are better at it than others. I mean, that's really what I think college is mainly about. Monica transferred to Brooklyn College in New York City to finish up her bachelor's degree. Some internships she had included some nonprofits, and by the time graduation hit, like most, Monica was ready to go. You're getting out of college, right? You're graduating. What's going through your head at that time leading up to graduation, right after graduation? Do you remember? I need a job. <laughs> <laughs> were you like super stressed out about it or were you? No, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just kind of let your experience like speak for itself sort of thing. Yeah, I knew that I would find one. When I graduated, I went to all of these recruiters and they were like, cool, great. So what you should do is you should pick the industry that you think that you want to work in and then you should get a job as an executive assistant to the highest ranking person that, is what that you can told find. Me too. Fuck that. Monica did not take the recruiter's advice. Monica's first job was working as an audience director for Opal Financial Group. You're probably thinking what we're thinking. What is an audience <laughs> development director? Um, so Opal is a conference company. And the way that that industry works, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys see all the time there are like these industry conferences and there are usually like a couple of big companies that put on a lot of them throughout the year. So the business model is that you get companies to sponsor these events and then they do it because it's marketing. So that they want to get in front of your audience. That's the um, the demand side. I guess you could say, and I was responsible for the supply side. So basically creating the product that people would pay us for. And in my case, it was a division within this conference company that one of the guys who founded the company had started, and it was for European institutional investors who cared a lot about alternative investments. So people who managed big institutional funds, corporate pension funds, state funds, and it's public money, but they invest it and try to grow it as much as they can. And those are generally like the largest piles of money in the world. So my job was to find all of these people, call them, and get them to come to our conferences, and ideally get them to actually participate. So to speak on a panel or to moderate a panel discussion. And then once I had been working there for a little while, I also worked with the guy who was the head of the division, the managing director, to actually create the conferences. So, and that was the really fun part. So figuring out like, now that I had kind of gotten to know these people, what do they care about? What would be really interesting to them? What would get them to come out to one of our events? And then get them to be really involved so that we could bring in a lot of sponsorship money. Monica didn't study finance or banking in college like probably most of her clients, but still excelled at her job because one exercise that she mastered with all of her clients and still practices to this day. So what's your advice to students who want to get jobs in industries that they didn't major in? I mean, I would say, like, understand what it is that they really need. And, and if you can't do that, like if they need something that you really can't do, then maybe don't right. like, get that job, you know? Like don't get yourself sort of thing. Super underwater. Right. I mean, unless I'm sure that there are circumstances in which you would want to do that. But I would say think about what they really need and then show how you can do that. So in this case, it really wasn't necessary that I, like I didn't have to have a finance degree in order to do this job. What I needed to be able to do was talk to people and 
be credible, which actually meant that it was really better that I didn't really know anything about it because no matter how much I knew, like if even if I had a degree, I never would have known as much as them. Right. Right. They've yeah. been doing this for decades every day. Like they're really experts. And I think that was actually one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got. And so what I was able to do is I was able to talk to people and I was able to be pretty fearless and really persistent. And I could show in the interview process because of what I did study in college and, and like some of my experience that I was able to pick up new ideas quickly and make connections between lots of different ideas, which is basically what you learn in a political science or really like any liberal arts degree. So I was like, cool. So you guys are doing this alternative investment hedge fund thing. Great. I'll just take your weird ideas and I'll figure <laughs> out how to put them together. Right. That's what I've literally learned how to do for the last four years. Monica did well and liked working with her clients, but she felt it was time for a change. What made you leave? Oh, it was very dramatic, actually. Ooh, story time. <laughs> <Spilled a tea. laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I worked there for two years ish and uh, it was really great. But I just thought, you know, I thought I wanted another job like it was my first job. And I was like, OK, cool. Like I'm ready to go do something else now. So I got another job at this company, Globe Tax Services, and I told my boss that I was going to quit. And he was so upset. He was like, what? So he immediately goes into the, we were sitting across the street having lunch, goes upstairs, goes into the CEO's office, who was his college friend basically, and has this whole like long meeting with him. And he's like, if you can't pay Monica enough to stay here, then I can't do this job. I can't run this division without her. And they just had this whole like blowout thing. And so I'm just like sitting there at my desk. So I'm talking to Jared. Jared is like, this This is bullshit. Jared goes upstairs. He goes into the CEO's office. I'm just sitting at my desk. And then I see Jared just walk out and go to the elevators and just leave. And I'm like, okay. So I'm still just kind of sitting there like doing whatever I was doing. And then, and then the CEO calls me into his office and he's like, yeah, so your boss just quit. So I, there's nothing for you to do. So like you can leave now. Oh my <laughs> God. And I was like, what were you thinking? Were I was like, like, I was like, I wasn't planning. I was like, I was planning on working here for another six weeks. Right. I was like, I'll was give just them like, a lot of notice. I had no, I'd never quit a job before. I didn't know, you right. know, so I was like, oh, okay, I know that I'm going to leave. So I'll give them a lot of notice. From there, Monica kind of made a 180. She found a company called Globe Tax Services and joined as a business development manager. There, she experienced setting up a CRM for the first time. So can you just talk a little bit about the importance of having like a super automated, clean CRM? Oh, man. <laughs> it is. It's a, It's literally I literally just had this conversation today. It's so like the the magic, the dream of having a super clean automated CRM with workflows and automation rules that work and data that matches up is the power of it is insane. The fact of the matter is, is that like no company has it really. A CRM is like a car. 
like the moment that you drive it off the lot, it just starts going downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the first thing that you put in there is, ah, oh, it's already fucked up. Yep. Like, <laughs> That's so funny. Because yeah. you have six or seven different people all putting stuff in there. And then you've got lead ways. sources yep. and you have like things coming in from your marketing automation tool. And yeah, mm-hmm. there's some really good tools that exist that you can buy on the Salesforce app exchange that can help you mitigate that, but you're not going to solve the problem with behavior. You just are not. Because who uses your CRM? Salespeople. They don't want to follow rules. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> so true. Her next career move was a pivot into the art industry, working in business development and marketing at 20 by 200. After I worked at Globe Tax, I realized that I didn't want to work in finance at all. It was just a really different company, even from the ones that I had been working with before. They were very, like, very banking focused, very, like, almost like a outsourced back office processor for banks, which is super different from being on the, in finance, there's like the front of house and the back of house. Front of house is client facing, and then the back office is everything that makes all of that actually work. So settling transactions, payment systems, compliance. And I just didn't like the back of office. It was just not not my vibe at all, not my world. So I, I thought I wanted to try something totally different. So I did. Went and worked at 20 by 200, which was uh, the first tech company that I worked at, actually. Really cool company. It was started by this woman that came from AOL, and she had a mission to make art accessible and affordable for everyone. I worked on a lot of um, a lot of marketing stuff with the website, and then they also had a business development function where we did partnerships with companies like West Elm. And what'd you learn from that? Just really different. Like, I was so used to being in kind of like a one-to-one customer-facing role, mm-hmm. and that just doesn't really exist at a B2C company. The the closest that you get, I think, is business development or brand partnerships. But it's it's just really different because you're not you're not necessarily you're not signing a deal. Like you're not negotiating a contract. You're just becoming friends and then you're sharing resources. It's just a much different type of relationship. I'd say it's equally intense and equally difficult. It's just in a different type of way. When you're doing sales, you're spending a lot of time trying to work towards a deal and close that deal. Then you close the deal and then you kind of like hand it off. If you're doing business development or partnerships, you're really like developing a relationship over a very long period of time and you you never pass it off. You never let it go because it, that's your relationship. And you want to keep like developing it and keep moving it forward and keep, you know, getting like further into the partnership. So I think some people prefer that. Some people prefer to have a little bit more of like a defined process where they're like closing a deal, moving on. The next move for Monica seemed to be what really kickstarted her career into a high gear. She gained some wisdom and started getting in a groove. Eventually, she linked up with a recruiter and found a data company called Pangeva, now owned by S&P Global. It's a data company that that gets shipping data, import and export data from different governments and then packages it into this database and organizes it based on company information. And it contains a lot of really useful information like 
where the shipment was coming from, who it was going to, what it contained, what the weights are, what ports it went through, and then a lot of information about the products. So we got all that data from the U.S. and then eventually also from Mexico, China, I think India, like uh, all of Central America, a, a bunch of other South American countries, and had a really, really, really smart engineering team that put it all together on the back end and harmonized the data around single objects. So anytime that we saw Home Depot, for example, we could associate it with the Home Depot profile. And then you could go to our website and you could pull up Home Depot's profile and you could see everything that they had imported, who all of their suppliers were, what they bought from them, in what quantities, over time, where they were getting shipments from, what their supply chain looked like, like where everyone was located, how they were moving things around the globe. And there's a ton of information that you can get from that. So who's coming to Panjiva for that information? Home Depot. Home Depot. Home Depot, uh, all of their competitors, shipping companies that want to sell to Home Depot, suppliers that want to sell to Home Depot. So when I initially started, we had had four salespeople and we all had the same job, which was like, go make money. (laughs) (laughs) Here's your monthly quota, go get it. So you could do, you know, we had a ton of inbound leads. You could call almost any company that you wanted because we didn't have that many customers yet. And yeah, you could sell monthly plans, annual plans. You could upgrade people. You could just do whatever you wanted. But on the team, like people very quickly started to go their own specific ways. So like the way that I went, it's like I just wanted to sell the biggest deals that I could. And then my friend who sat right across from me, she didn't really want to deal with any of that. Like she literally just wanted to bring in revenue. She did not ever want to do a demo. She really didn't even want to talk about the product. I don't even know if she knew what we did for like the first two years. I thought she did, but then sometimes she would ask questions and I would just be like, what? That's hilarious. (laughs) Have you been here this whole time? So she ended up building our inbound sales team, which was hugely successful. And then I built our enterprise sales business. She was promoted to Enterprise Solutions Manager. There she was tasked with growing and developing the new enterprise side of the business, as well as managing the SDRs or sales development reps. When we went through uh, kind of like a big growth phase, we hired a bunch of salespeople. And then this is a very typical thing that you see now, especially in tech companies, but it's moving to other companies too, which is this idea that you shouldn't have your salespeople do everything, right? Like, they're probably really good at certain things. And so you should make it so that they can spend as much of their time doing those things. And then the things that someone else could do, get someone else to do that and pay them less money, right? So we hired a bunch of basically junior salespeople. And the job of the SDR is just to develop leads and set up meetings for salespeople. And then the salespeople, all they do is run those meetings and then close the deal. So when we started our SDR program, I became in charge of the SDRs. And what I realized is that there were a lot of companies that were using our product that we weren't paying any attention to at all, but they still were coming to us. And like everything about the product was not designed for them. Mm -hmm. 
and we weren't marketing to them. Nobody, like they were just coming to the website and signing up on their own. And I knew about it because I had worked in finance. So I knew what these companies were. They were like hedge funds. Some of them were small banks. Some of them were private equity firms coming to our site. And they were just signing up for like these really tiny plans. And I was like, this is weird because these companies have way more capital than the ones that we're selling to. I mean, for us at the time, like a really big client would have been Pacific Feather, which is one of the largest manufacturers of pillows and comforters (laughs) in the U.S. It's all like the biggest companies that you've never heard of, companies that make ball bearings and die cast parts and stuff like that. Really interesting companies and they make a lot of money, but they, you know, they have a ton of expenses. And so if you look at their actual expendable capital, it's not as much. If you take a hedge fund that has approximately the same, if not more assets under management, and they literally have a staff of 20, you're like, these people have money to spend. And they weren't spending a lot of money with us at all. In fact, they were spending the least amount of money with us. And so I thought that there had to be something there. And so I just started talking to them and figuring out what it was that they were trying to do with our product and with our data. And they told me all the things about it that didn't work for them and why they were interested and why they couldn't really get this information anywhere else. And we ended up building a business around it and building a product for them because the things that we needed to do for them made our data better for all of our customers, which enabled us to get much, much, much bigger contracts. So you carved out your own position there, your own promotion in a sense. Yeah. I basically made the case that we needed to be in this business. Gotcha. That's, that's a big pivot that you, or big chain of events that you started, I guess. Yeah. Be proud of that. I I would be. Yeah. Yeah, It (laughs) was, it was so gratifying, um, when the company got acquired by S and P because that, definitely would not have happened if we had not decided to make that pivot and go into that business. So you were there for a little over five years. What was, which made you leave? Well, I was there for five years, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it was kind of like, time. yeah. And it was sort of like, okay, you know, I've done what I wanted to do. I finished this huge project, like built this team, built this business. It was going really well. We had some really big wins And it was kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to probably stay here now for like 10 years. And then this is going to be like a big chunk of my career, or this is a time when I could now go and do something else. And so I decided to go and and do something else. Monica's work was done and it was time for her to work her magic elsewhere. Her next move was working at Trello in the strategic sales wing. They were building their enterprise team and I was kind of like, oh, great. Like I just did this. And I thought that it was... I kind of talked myself into it because I realized really quickly that they could, I mean, they can literally sell to anybody. But I also like, I loved, I, I really believed in the product. And then uh, from from a sales perspective, I mean, the the growth and the value of Trello never came from the sales team, which was ultimately the reason that I didn't end up staying there because like, I want to be in a business where what I'm contributing to the business is like very the bread and salient. Yeah. I mean... They say like it sells itself. It doesn't sell itself. It won't generate money on its own, but you don't need to convince anyone to use it. Monica then brought her talents to Scale, the company she works at now, and was working as a consultant for a real estate tech startup that needed help putting together processes and structures. I like the team at Red IQ. 
I don't know that much about institutional real estate. Learned a lot about institutional real estate, but it, it, I was like, yeah, this is totally in my wheelhouse. Like this is a team that needs to grow. They need structure. But I, I, I don't think that I, I never really thought that it was going to be like a super long-term thing, but I was like, oh, I can do a lot here, you know, in like a pretty short period of time. And then the company got acquired six weeks after I started, which changed a lot, which was crazy because Trello had just gotten acquired like right before I started. So I was like, I literally cannot. And then Tangiva got acquired like a year (laughs) later in in a year. The last three companies that I worked for. You're the common denominator there. I know. So, no, that's actually, it's an amazing point. And so that's, that's why, you know, I thought like the next company that I join, I want it, I want to feel like it's my company. The previous three companies were companies that I put a lot into, but I never really felt like they were mine. And so I was just, I, you know, I saw that and I was like, wow, like, yeah, I am the common denominator. I should not (laughs) waste this gift. Definitely. After Red IQ, she went back to Scaled and has been there ever since as the head of accounts. We'll get more into what that means in part one of this series, but for background, Scaled was founded by the CEO, Jake Dunlap. Before Scaled, he was the VP of sales at a bunch of different tech companies and realized the intensity and job uncertainty wasn't for him anymore. The average tenure right now for sales leaders is about 18 months, and it's, it's really risky. Everything that happens in the company is your fault. If you're really good at what you do and the company is growing, they're probably going to hire someone more senior than you and layer over you. Um, if it's not going well, you're probably going to get fired. So either way, it's really tough. And I think especially these days, your odds of, you know, grabbing that unicorn and like finding the company that's actually going to pay out and actually having options that are worth something when any kind of liquidity event happens is just really, really low. So you'll make a good amount of money, but you're going to have a super stressful job and you're going to have a new job every two years. And he was just sort of looking at his life and his life path. And he was like, I just don't want to do that. So He started doing consulting and realized that there was a real need for companies to level up a lot of different parts of their sales organization, but maybe they weren't ready to hire someone or they had a great team in place, but they just needed help. And he's really good at what he does. So he started doing that. And that was five years ago. And we've just kind of continued to grow and take on more clients and bring on more more consultants. Um, And here we are. Scaled's client base has grown from mostly tech companies to clients in all different industries. Like we mentioned in part one, the companies they partner with usually have about 50 million in revenue, 200 employees, and at least 20 people on the sales team. What's next then, you think? Um, well, I'm, I'm really happy at Scaled. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a super cool business. Um, it's so much fun to be able to work on a business where your business is working on other people's businesses. That wraps up part two in the Scalable Career in Sales series. Huge thanks to Monica Stewart for sharing her wisdom throughout this experience, A Day in the Life series. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to part one in this series to experience a day in the life of a sales consultant and head of accounts at Scaled. So they say you can't get a job without experience, but need experience to get the job. But luckily, we have quite the experience. You can join our team and experience a day in the life of the jobs you want by applying to be a student editor. Regardless of your major or amount of experience, this is the perfect stepping stone into any internship or career. 
Find more info and sign up at xadiddle.com slash students. That's x-a-d-i-t-l dot com slash students. Thanks for listening. Head over to xadiddle.com. That's xaditl.com. There you can find the show notes for this series and more A Day in the Life articles. And you can get to know us and our guests more by joining our communities on social media. Follow at xadiddle on Instagram and on LinkedIn by searching for Krista Bow and Matt with one T Poe. If you learned something in this episode, please take some time to help our mission by leaving a positive rating and review of the show. Each week, we bring you a new interview series with guests from different jobs and different industries. In each series, we'll live a specific day in the life, hour by hour, and experience their career journey. So don't forget to subscribe.